Last week, I, I, I kind of put you up to the task, if you will, of writing the next chapter in your own lives. Like if you could have your heart's desire unfold in front of you, what would it be? What truly would your heart's desire be? And I, and, and I really invited you to amp it up, to make it as beautiful and loving and joyous and poignant and, and full of whatever it is that you dream about. Well, today, we're going to switch gears. It's time to put aside these ideas as a dream and instead to claim them as actual fact. And so we're going to do that in just a minute. But I did find um, one more good joke, I think, about making choices in life. And, and so, you know, I'd be remiss in not sharing it with you, I think. So uh, this is about making choices for show and tell. A kindergarten teacher gave her class a show and tell assignment. Each student was instructed to choose an object uh, of particular care with the class that best represents their religion. So the first student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Benjamin, I'm Jewish, and this is a Star of David. And then he said a little bit about what the Star of David meant. The second student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Mary, I'm a Catholic, and this is the Rosary. The third student got up in front of the class and said, my name is Tommy, I go to the Portland Center for Spiritual Living, and this is a casserole. <laughs> And I, and I guess, <laughs> and I guess what, what I liked about that joke is doesn't it feel like our church is our home? Doesn't it feel like the same warmth and joy that you might get with a, a good meal with friends or, or at one of our potlucks? Isn't that in some ways really what it's all about? Isn't it the close connection with God as it shows up in our friends, in our family, and, and other people who think similar to we do. These are the kind of gifts, whether they be casseroles or classes, whether they be the, the small and important uh, uh, lovingnesses that we share with others each day, or the big mom momentous moments, this is why we're here on the planet. And today, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to blurt out the secret, if you will, and then we can all go home. Because um, <laughs> in this particular chapter that we're reading in this lovely book called It's Up to You, Ernest Holmes could not make how to manifest our dreams more clearly. And, and he uses scripture. He quotes from Matthew. He quotes from Mark, even from Luke. And really the quotes are all aimed at exactly the same thing. He says it is simply done unto us as we believe. So there's no more or, or different magic than I can tell you about achieving your heart's desire. It will be done unto you as you believe. It's, it's, it's quoting from the master teacher Jesus, and everything that we know in science of mind will back this up. Just think about it for a minute. It is done unto you as you believe. So if you believe your life is full of joy and happiness, if you believe that it's full of family and friends and the goodness of life, if you believe it's full of those casseroles and the, the sweetness of being, that is what your life will be like. God will see to it that you get more of what you believe in. But there's the cautionary note here as well, I think, because if we believe that life is full of constraints, perhaps, 
if we believe that life is difficult, if we believe that um, we're not worthy of the love and the joy and the peace that we so deserve, if somehow we don't think that we're deserving, then God says yes to that too. That also will show up in a greater degree in our own life. So, so in a way, we're both blessed and cursed, if you will. You know, of course, these are all just human judgments about what's good and bad. To God, it is simply manifesting what we believe to be true, always, uniformly, and to everyone. It is done unto us as we believe. Now, you would think, okay, well then, thanks, Larry. We, I guess we can go home. We have the answer. But, uh, <laughs> but I want to think about this a minute. Because most of us find this simple proposition not so simple in application. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, then what you're saying is I need to fundamentally believe perhaps differently in areas of my life. If I'm struggling with abundance, how can I suddenly just believe that I'm rich when I have every evidence that would tell me you're not really so rich? Or if perhaps you've been struggling to find a good relationship it might be flying in the face of what you're experiencing right now to claim for yourself, I'm in a great relationship that's full of love and full of peace and full of harmony. If that isn't what's occurring in your life, changing your beliefs on a dime may seem a little bit stout, a little bit difficult. And I'm here with you. I agree with you. Nonetheless, if we may wish to make progress, we need to begin shifting in the direction of believing, at least, that which we wish to see more of. If we want more love in our life, we need to begin shifting in the direction of having loving thoughts and really believing them that they are true for us. If we want to shift in the direction of more abundance in our life, we need to begin that idea of, well, do I understand money? Do I understand my true source as God? Do I understand how I can be supportive in my own life? How do I participate in it? If instead I just think about the lack, then my belief is in the lack, and more lack will be mine to endure. Ernest Holmes in this book has a, a great way of describing how when we first start out, this process of changing our beliefs can be a little troublesome. And he says it's not just for us as individuals, but really the whole human race has this issue. He says the trouble is, is that for so long the world has looked upon things spiritual as separate from the world. They are practically incredulous when we are told that by our own thought we can reach out and contact the source of all good, that by our own thoughts we can demonstrate abundance, that by our own thoughts we can change joy into sorrow, that we can change our physical environment. And so it is, we're not used to this way of thinking. We're not used to thinking, well, I will change my thinking and then change my life. I mean, it sounds great when Nancy mentions it on Sunday morning. It sounds great when Larry talks about it. But how do I do it? How do I make this change and what pitfalls are there? Because I do believe if it were just as easy as, yeah, I'm going to wake up uh, tomorrow morning and think completely different about my love life, about my finances, we would have done it, right? <laughs> we probably would have done it if it were that, like if it was just something on a to-do list. Tomorrow I'm going to think differently about everything. There, I'll just check that off. <laughs> 
So today I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the common pitfalls around this process and how we can overcome them. And uh, of course, naturally, my mind went to mid-20th century uh, terror films. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> I know, some of you, so do you like Alfred Hitchcock? I really hope so. <laughs> Because what I discovered when I watched the old movie Psycho the other day is that it is completely metaphysical. And it's not really a story at all about Anthony Perkins gone wild with a kind of a, a mother complex. I mean, that's in there. But what it is, it is really a story about people not being able to fulfill their heart's desire. And so let's start at the very beginning with a fellow who went to Janet Lee's office with a pile of money. And he literally had a pile of money, $40,000. He was going to buy his daughter a brand new home for her wedding. And as he begins talking about it, what you realize is really the money is a very sneaky metaphor for love. What he's really wanting to do is to buy the love of his daughter and he talks about how they've been a little bit estranged and the the guy is really a little bit of a jerk and here he has just literally in a satchel enough money to buy a house outright in 1960 $40,000 and how he's going to give this to his daughter for her wedding and that's going to make it up between the two of them what he wants of course is love and how he's going about it is buying his love well, right from the get-go, uh, anyone that has any thought of metaphysics here realizes that money isn't going to work out. You know, whether it's a Beatles song or our own experience, money can't buy you love, right? <laughs> and so we know that that's not going to happen. And sure enough, that money is gone like that into the hands of Janet Lee. Now, what Janet Lee wants is freedom. She's in a dead-end job. She's in a dead-end relationship. Life is stacked against her in so many, many ways. What she really wants is freedom. She wants a fresh start. She wants to be able to go out in the world and have more meaning to it than this dead-end job and this relationship that can't be acknowledged. And so, I think positively, although having the minister say stealing is a good idea, we're not going to go there, but I think positively she recognized with $40,000 she could make quite a new start in the world, right? So she takes off with the money, goes on the road, but of course, can she really accept that money? Certainly $40,000 at the beginning of 1960, that's a couple years salary at least. She could have made a great new start somewhere. She could not accept it in her heart. As you can imagine, stealing in order to make a fresh start, there are some problems with that. And so as she's driving down the road, she's thinking in her own mind, you know, how good it's going to be. Oh, but the police are going to be on my track. And she's thinking about, you know, with this amount of money, I can get a fresh start. My life can be different. I can get things on track. Oh, yeah. And what's this going to be when the police catches up with me? And so by the time she checks into the Bates Motel, never a good idea, by the way, by the time she checks into the Bates Motel, she has already decided that the money is not for her. And unfortunately, along with that, she has already put aside her dream of a fresh start. And on Monday morning, she's just going to go back to work. Really, essentially saying, because it cannot play out in this one particular way that I imagined, 
I'm giving up on the dream. Enter our third main character, of course, the somewhat crazy Anthony Perkins. But the trouble with this, too, is, you know, he could have made an amazing start with that $40,000 as well, right? He complains about the highway changing and no one comes to the motel anymore. He's feeling trapped there. He has a very clear picture of all the things that are wrong in his life and more than willing to share them with poor Janet Lee. So what happens to the money at the end? He is so blinded to what really would be good for him. The money? The back of Janet Lee's car plunged into a swamp for all time. Now, why could these three people not productively use $40,000 in their life? And this is, the, this is the big question because it applies to all of us. And it doesn't just apply to money either, right? I mean, a lot of times we think money is the solution. The, the first fellow in the story thought it was the solution to getting back together and have a better relationship with his daughter, right? Um, Janet Lee thought that this money would be the chance to start over again. Uh, Anthony Perkins could have used that money to make a different life for himself. The tragedy here, well, beyond if you've seen the movie, you know that there is a tragedy indeed. But the tragedy here is that people had an opportunity to seize their dreams and they were unable to do so. And I want to talk in very real-world examples here of what the trouble was. Well, first of all, with Anthony Perkins, he didn't know what he did want. He only knew what he didn't want. And so that money, he even held it in his hands at one point. Remember the scene where she's folded it up in a newspaper and he's tidying up her room after the event? <laughs> he actually has the $40,000 in his hand puts it in the back of the car and sends the, the car into the swamp because he cannot even recognize that good is at hand. It's because he didn't know what his good was. If you want to experience your good, you need to know what it is. What does love look like to you, particularly? What does joy look like in your life in particular? You need to know these things. Otherwise, it will come wrapped in a newspaper, delivered to your door, and you'll put it out with the recycling. Honestly, we will avoid our good if we don't know what it is. It's that old story of there's good for you and you shall have it, but what if you don't know what it is? What if it's not clear to you what a good relationship should be? What if it's not clear to you what a good living arrangement should be? What if it's not clear to you what a great job would be or a great relationship or, or what you need to truly be happy in life? If these things are not clear to you, they could show up on your doorstep and you will send them to the recycling because you do not have the capability of recognizing them. All right, the second thing from this movie is Janet Lee herself. She had the right idea. A fresh start would have been a good thing. She had her hopes pinned on one certain way that it could happen, and she wasn't willing to accept it that way. It, for her, it was clear that being on the open road, this was freedom, being able to start her life. And the only way to do that, and she says it in several, several different ways in the movie. At one point, she says, you know, I'll never earn this much money on my own. In another place in the movie, she says, I'll never be able to start my life out fresh if I don't take this chance. 
These are the beliefs working in her mind that she was not worthy of a first choice, of uh, uh, starting over. She wasn't worthy of having a new start. And, and of course, the one way she seizes upon it is, is even illegal. And of course, her own, her own sense of moral and proprietary says, no, well, no, I can't do that. So she gives up on her dream, but it's because she can't really accept it. She can't see herself starting over. She really can't imagine herself earning that much money. And when the truth of her being is poverty and lack and being trapped, when over and over again she says that's the truth of herself, God says yes to it. And so back she, well, she wasn't going to go to work on Monday, but, <laughs> but had she, well, and you might even think of that, you know, someone so misguided, you know, the end was imminent. Then finally, back to the first person, the fellow with the 40000 to begin with, wanting to use that money to get back with his daughter. This is the problem of not knowing how to treasure really what is important to you. You can't buy love. You can't manufacture your good. You have to participate with it. If you want to uh, experience more love in your life, you need to be the love. If you want to experience more abundance in your life, you need to know how to take care of money. You need to know how abundance looks. You need to feel abundant. You need to participate in your own abundance. If we cannot really stand for what we want, much in the way of our opening, uh, our opening song this month, if we can't stand for love, if we can't stand for peace, if we can't really with full enthusiasm in our own heart accept that which we want, it will be elusive. That fellow was never going to find his heart's desire of, of unity with his daughter and more love with his daughter if it's to be purchased, of course he lost the money. So this is my question for us. Over the last uh, several weeks, we have painted such a glorious picture of what we can have in our own lives. I hope so. I know I have. Um, the, the week where we did the assignment around journaling, what our, our heart's desire is, that's to get us out of the Anthony Perkins syndrome here. We don't want to be a psycho. We want to know what our good looks like in some detail, right? We want to have that vision of our life as good as it can possibly be, and then we're going to act on it. And so now what I'd like us to do is to overcome those other two issues. Can you embody it? Do you know how to treat love? Do you know how to be love? Or if it's maybe wholeness in your own body, do you know how to be whole? Do you know the right things to do to take care of your body? We have to participate in this, right? In the same way that if we want love, we have to participate in being loving. If we want wholeness in our lives, we need to step up to that as well. If we want more joy in our lives, we not only have to know what joy looks like, we've got to get out of the house now and then and have some fun. So what I learned from Psycho is not just that there is joy for me, not just that there is love, not just that the world can be great, but I have to take responsibility for it. It's back to choices again. And I do that through the master teachings of Jesus. I do that from the idea that it will be done unto me as I believe. So if I want more love, I have to believe that the love is there from the get-go. I have to believe that I'm worthy of the love. 
I have to believe that I know how to nurture and sustain love. If I want more abundance in my life, I have to know that abundance is for me. I have to recognize it when I see it and understand it. I have to be able to participate in it. I have to know how to perhaps invest money, how to, how to be a good manager of the money that I have. If I want more peace or more wholeness or anything in my life, I have to understand that thing, and I have to be willing to accept it right now. Not in the future. That's the other problem that so often I see is that people are willing to accept their good in a kind of a willful, hopeful way. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I hope that someday I'll retire and I'll be able to live on easy street. Have you heard people talk a little bit like that? Or they'll say, you know, one day when the kids are grown, <laughs> some of you with children, do you ever think that? Yeah, Star's going, oh, never. Okay. <laughs> you know, once the kids are grown, once the house is paid for, once I'm on my retirement, once I'm Social Security age, once we have some peace, you know, once the job settles down, then we can whatever. And those are just wishful, hopeful dreams. That day may never come. If you want to experience your good anytime soon, accept it now. Recognize in your own heart that you do not have to put off joy. You do not have to put off love. You do not have to put off the feeling wealthy. Now, there may be certain physical aspects of it that will take a time in coming, But the feelings never have to be put off. The desire in your own heart to accept love, to accept goodness, to accept joy, these are never to be put off. If you put them off, they will be off. They will always be elusive. If you hold them tight in your own understanding, your own belief system right now, not only will you immediately get those feelings of love, those feelings of abundance, that feeling of peace and joy, but it will usher in a reality beyond your dreams. Suddenly there will be any number of people willing to share their lives in a loving and beautiful way with you. Suddenly there will be more business opportunities than you could have ever imagined because you are holding on to it as as something that's current going on in your life right now. And the world will do what it needs to do to give you evidence of that. So it is done unto you as you believe. And the trick, as there is a trick then, is simply to believe what you want. I'm going to close today with a a final quote from this chapter from Ernest Holmes. It's up to you. But I want you to think for a moment. What are you willing to do to change your belief system? Are you willing to have a clearer picture of what you really want out of life? Are you willing to hold on and nurture that idea even before you've got it? Are you willing to hold in your heart and firmly in your mind a kind of mental picture or equivalent of what being in that joy, being in that love, being in that sweetness of life would be like as though you already have it? Because that's what it takes. It is done unto you as you believe. Here's the final words of Ernest Holmes from this chapter. He says, It is when we clearly see to walk that we will choose a direction to go. I think each one of us is beholden to himself and herself, to the world, 
to live a fruitful life, demonstrating to the fullest of our ability love and self-expression. The infinite has enough for all of us, so it is not selfish to demonstrate happiness, joy, harmony, peace, beauty, love, friendship, and right action. They already exist. They are there for our use. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. I call this thing God, but by whatever name you choose, God is all there is. It's every person, it's every place, everything, every situation, every idea of good, whether it be love or abundance or joy or peace, all of it, all of it is based in God. And what I know about this God is that it is that eternal giver that as we concentrate our thoughts and our minds and our beliefs, so God simply says yes. And so for each person here, including myself on this day, I simply claim that ever more we are better at choosing our thoughts, that they are a mirror of our heart's desire, that it is done unto us as we believe, and our beliefs are so very, very sweet. Beliefs of love, beliefs of joy, beliefs of happiness. This is what I believe, and it is my fondest desire that everyone in this room has beliefs that are so sweet about their own lives. And I'm simply grateful for this. I'm grateful in knowing that God is here for each person in this room. I simply let it be, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here.